Happy Sunday. Hope you guys are staying cool. Um, if you are just now joining us this morning, my name is Justin. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, and we are going through a series on the book of Mark. Uh, so, th- so the book of Mark, just if, if you haven't joined us, let me just give you a quick intro. If you've heard this before, I'm sorry, let me just quickly, like, let me go over it just real quickly. Uh, so the book of Mark is, you have four gospels, right, in, in your Bible. You have, you have four accounts of the life of Jesus. Uh, two of these were actually written by disciples of Jesus, and then two of them were not. Uh, Mark is actually one of those books. It was not actually, Mark was not actually originally a disciple of Jesus. Um, we don't know a whole lot about Mark other than he was a whole lot like probably you and me. Okay, so the reason I, w- I want to tell you this this morning um, is that as, as you look at the lens of Scripture and as, it, as you look at the way that it's written, it often reflects the personalities of the people who wrote it. Well, Mark was one of those guys who struggled, as far as we can see, he's, he's written about in the book of Acts, he's written about in one of Paul's letters, and then he's written about uh, at the end of the crucifixion, uh, when, when the soldiers come to arrest Jesus, uh, they grab one of the young men in the group, uh, who literally slips his clothes off and we're told runs away naked. Uh, we think that was Mark. Mark's like, I can't believe y'all think that was me. Um, but we actually think that was Mark. We know later in Mark's life that he teamed up with Paul uh, on a missionary journey, and then when it got difficult, actually bailed out. And so Paul kind of ended up firing him and saying, I I don't trust you anymore. Uh, And then Mark's life kind of disappears until we get to the very end of Paul's life. And all of a sudden, Paul says, you know what? Bring John Mark. He's useful. He's effective. There's something about John Mark's journey where he goes from being this guy who runs away naked toward the very end of his life being this effective, like, impactful tool for God. Um, and so as, as we read his gospel, I always want to keep that in mind uh, because Mark will highlight certain things. And one of the things that I think Mark highlights often in his gospel uh, is our actual, like, real helplessness, like our real dependency on God, right? And this is coming from someone who, um, even in some of these moments that mattered, like the crucifixion, would rather run away naked uh, than sort of stick it out, right? Like there's, there's some part of him that's probably really wrestling with his own humanity, like with his own failures, with his own like shortcomings, with his own sense of like, I can't get it right. I haven't gotten it right before. Like I failed dramatically before. And so as you read Mark's gospel, I always want to keep that in mind is like you're reading someone who necessarily wasn't like sitting on this like spiritual, like giant throne, but rather that was someone that was really working out in his own life, often through failure, like what it means to be loved by God, what it means to be totally dependent, helplessly dependent on the love of God, to heal, to restore, to make whole. And so this morning, we're going to be uh, in a text that um, I think Mark is going to tell us what is the most important, like bottom line for being a Christian Not only that, but it's also sort of like, what is the bottom line for how you approach Scripture? Okay, so so, uh, I'm going to say some things that for some of us this morning, we might find them challenging. I just want to preface that. Uh, So I said last week, when it's holiday weekend, I kind of preach without a filter because there's just less people to make mad. Um, That's not true this morning, but also like, I really want us to listen to what Mark is going to say. 
Like he's gonna approach, uh, basically he's gonna give you like a bottom line. Like what is it when you read scripture, when you think of your Christian life, when you think of what it means to follow Jesus, like what is the one thing you get right? What is the most important thing to get right? And this is going to challenge some of us in a couple of ways. We'll talk about it in the sermon this morning. Um, but I just I want to say um, kind of right off the bat that this should, whether you grew up in a fundamental kind of Bible culture or there's like a lot of you here um, didn't grow up at all in that culture, or maybe some of you grew up in, in more of a Catholic or a high church tradition. Um, either way, I think all of us are going to find certain aspects of Jesus' words this morning uh, challenging. So I just want to preface that. Um, and And... We're going to find it challenging because it's so simple. Because the bottom line of following Jesus, knowing Jesus, being loved by Jesus is incredibly simple. But many of us are convinced that it's harder than this, that it's more complex than this, that we're not good enough for this, like that we've got to understand this better, understand this more. And what Jesus is going to do this morning is he's literally going to get asked the question, hey, what is the most important part of Scripture? What is the one thing that you want us to like take away, gather from this? Like what's the bottom line is really what they're asking. And Jesus is going to give an incredibly simple answer that I think many of us might actually find incredibly challenging to accept. And so as we read his answer this morning, uh, I want to keep that in mind. Um, he's going to be asked, what is the most important law? Like, what is the most important commandments? And so anytime in, in your Bibles when the word law comes up or the word commandment comes up, we can, we can use that uh, interchangeably with Scripture. Okay, so they didn't have a canonized Bible like we do now, but they did have the law. They did have commandments that these would have been considered like their version of Scripture, the way that we think of Scripture. So what, what Jesus is really getting asked for, if I can help us in our modern context kind of grab onto it, is somebody says, hey, I know Scripture really well. I've taught it my whole life. I've educated in it. What's the most important part? And Jesus is going to respond with an incredibly simple uh, like commandment. He's going to respond with an incredibly simple aspect of Scripture. He says, if you know this, the, all, the, all the rest of it, all everything else falls into place. This is your lens. To use a theological word, it's your exegetical lens, right? So exegesis is when you look at a piece of Scripture and you try to like pull the cultural value out of it, the context out of it, and the meaning out of it. What, Paul, what Jesus is saying is here is like, let me give you the exegetical lens that you can read your Bible and never feel lost. You can read your Bible and actually have a sense of what it's saying or what it's driving at or what it's getting at. This is sort of a, like, it's like a litmus test or a compass or a guide. So let me read the text for us this morning and we'll get started. We're going to be in Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28. One of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, 
The Lord, our God, is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind, and all of your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The teacher of the religious law replied, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all of my heart and with all of my understanding and all of my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer uh, all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Let me pray for us this morning and we'll get started. Father, for these next few minutes, um, while we unpack what is incredibly important, but most of us, it slips slips our grasp. Um, would you help us? Father, would you forgive me for the ways that my words will be inadequate um, to describe something so beautiful? Father, would you have mercy on us as a church? We want to love you well. We don't always know how to do that. That's why we're here, though. We want to learn. We're not always good at it. We don't always know how. So God, would you show us? We also want to learn to love each other. That's also why we're here. We're not always good at that either. So could you help us? We need your mercy, Father. We love you. Would you show us how to love you more? And pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, so, so the first thing that uh, happens is this, this teacher of the religious law, who's a Sadducee, uh, Sadducee, you don't need to know who he is necessarily, other than there's been these two groups of religious leaders that have been kind of coming at Jesus, um, trying to kind of get him in a gotcha moment. Right, like kind of get, get him in a moment where they're like, we don't need to take you credibly anymore. We don't need to take you serious anymore. Or maybe we can find a reason to actually crucify you. Like they're looking for some kind of opportunity. So this person, Mark tells us there's like a brush of fresh air. It tells us that he realized that Jesus had been answering well. So there, there's a little bit of like spiritual insight that the guy grabs and Mark picks up on this because this is the first guy in some of the first conversations that Jesus has had that hasn't ended out in like outright hostility. And this guy realizes Jesus is onto something here. I think he's got a hold of something here and I'm not quite sure what it is. So let me like get to the bottom line. And I think this is actually like he epitomizes most of our spiritual anguish just as people, right? Whether you're wrestling with like, God, where are you right now? Like what, what you're really asking for is like, I want to see you. Like, where's the bottom line here? What are you doing here? We're trying to understand God's will in our life. A lot of times we want to be like, I just want the ant. Like, could you just write it down? Could it appear on the wall? Could I have a dream? Could there be something that kind of like gives me your bottom line? Right, like I, what he's demanding is like ultimate clarity. Would you show me what is most important? And Jesus responds with, well, the first part of the commandment he responds with is not actually a command at all, and this is important for us. He says, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. Okay, so he says, what's the most important commandment? 
And Jesus starts by saying, actually, there's only one God. There's one Lord. Um, now, I want to admit for just a second, I actually cringe at this statement just a little bit because of the kind of fundamental evangelical culture I grew up in. And there's a lot to be grateful for in that culture. I'm not criticizing all of that. But what I did see sometimes is this verse get weaponized for evangelistic purposes. Or they kind of approached somebody and was like, there's one way, every, you turn or burn, right? Like there's one path here, right? Like if you don't see it, like you're off it. And so it's often, unfortunately, like this is used, I think, sometimes to actually exclude. And I think Jesus is actually doing the exact opposite here. He's trying to include everyone in this. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, all these groups of people who are coming at all of these different angles. What Jesus is saying is there's one God over all of this that you guys are searching for, longing for, asking about, seeking, and sometimes not trusting or even trying to trap And this one God is love. This dominating thing about God, his, his, his defining characteristic, his essence, who he is, is love. This is what John tells us in 1 John 4. And so this one love that has been given to all of you, regardless of your perspectives, this is what you're searching for, is this love. Why I think this is important um, is for many of us, we feel, um, I think sometimes, like this is, like Jesus is about to get an if-then statement with this. Uh, if you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, then he will be your one Lord. He will be your one God. I think that's a little bit how, and some of the evangelism cultures that I grew up in, it was kind of used. If you will turn and bird, then he'll be your God. But Jesus starts with, actually, he's already your God, and you are already incredibly loved. This is the theme that's run all throughout the book of Mark. So you start with whether or not you acknowledge it, realize it, see it, uh, like feel trapped by it, don't like it. Like there is one Lord, one God, and he is over you. And so the statement is not being used as a threat. I actually think it's being used as a reassurance. Because all throughout the Gospel of Mark, the theme that comes up over and over, we're going to read all of it this morning, is how the love of God invades our darkness, how the light of God invades our hearts. Mark often uses militaristic language even to describe the way that God's love like invades humanity despite its resistance to it. That's what Mark's thing is. Like, That's why he uses the military language, right? There's a military language, not because Mark condones violence in any kind of way, but he's saying humanity is constantly and repeatedly over and over again resistant to the way that God loves them, resistant to the love that God seeks them out with. But he's still their God. He still loves them. He's still Lord over them. I think right here, before we even get to the commandment, sitting with this peace, that whether or not you resist God, whether or not you don't understand him, whether or not you feel a sense of shame in his presence, whether or not you feel like there's parts of you that you will never accept, he's still your God. And there's this love that he has for you. This is why I think Mark starts, or why Jesus starts here. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 6. But I think he wants to start with, there is one God, listen, O Israel. Instead of saying the commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and then God will be your God. 
He wants to remind them that you were always incredibly loved. You have always been incredibly safe in the presence of this Lord who has sought you out, Israel. Um, if you know anything about the history of Israel, the history of Israel is one of just nothing but brokenness. And this is, this is different than modern-day Israel. So I always like to kind of differentiate that we're looking at um, scriptural Israel and what that meant. And their, their cultural identity was this nation who had been pulled out of Egypt, pulled out of slavery, and rescued by God. But repeatedly, over and over and over and over and over again, throughout all of Scripture, they are unable to fulfill even some of the most basic commandments. They'll have small stretches of spiritual or faithful obedience to God, like oftentimes lasting even just a few years, followed by many, many decades and sometimes centuries of active rebellion against him. And yet over and over and over again, God says, you are mine, I am yours. Like, despite the fact that you run from me, God will even compare them sometimes to like, despite the fact that you have divorced me and you have been unfaithful to me, like you've literally cheated on me, like I will not give up, I will continue to pursue and so when we hear that Jesus starts the most important commandment with, listen, O Israel, we have to hold that in mind. He's not taking, talking to a bunch of people who are spiritually giants, capable of great faithfulness. He's talking to a bunch of people who have spent their entire history getting it wrong. Their entire history being in constant rebellion towards the God who loves them. And so this is important because the next part of the, of the verse, the commandment itself, I'm actually afraid we often hear and feel is overwhelmed by. Jesus says, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, and physically, you must love God I don't know about you, um, I feel overwhelmed by that. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't know if there's any of you that like walked in this morning like physically, spiritually, emotionally, I got it. Like I got all, I checked off all four. Like that's why I'm here. So, so I, I want to do um, a couple of things like hold, um, so with all of Jesus' word, we always have to hold them with uh, what he says in other parts of scripture, right? So Jesus first says, come to me all you who are weary heavy laden or burdened and I will give you rest. Okay, so I do not believe that God will ever ask anything of us that we are not capable of doing. I do not believe that Jesus is like, well, I'm going to give them four ways they got to love me and there's like, and they got to spend their whole life getting all four right. Because I do not believe that it is actually possible to get all four of these right. Like, just, like, I want to be as realistic as a pastor as I can. Like, there's, Jesus says, I want, I want them to love me with all of their mind, with all of their soul, with all of their heart, and physically with their bodies. Like, I don't think he's placing this impossible burden on their back the way that we hear this. Rather, I think what he's reminding us is, don't forget, oh, faithless Israel, oh, rebellious Israel. You've always had one God. He never stopped being your God, and he loves you despite your shortcomings. And when you begin to accept that love and live into that love, and the way that I've described it is, and the word I use, and I use this word intentional, come to terms with that love. It begins to free you. 
to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, all of your mind, with all of your body. But if we start with, I've got to do this so that he will be my God. I've got to get this right so that he will be my one Lord. I've got to get this right so that he will love me. I think we'll be crushed under the weight of this command. I think we'll spend our entire lives feeling inadequate. Or, or what will happen is we just become arrogant and a little blind to our own shortcomings if we're even close to saying, hey, I do all, all four of these all the time. Like, I've got all four down. So what Jesus is describing here, um, I think is something that's fundamentally key to all of us. And it's taken me my entire life to really understand this piece. When you can come to terms with how unconditionally loved by God you are, when you can really come to terms that he sees you as you are, when you can really come to terms with how unconditional and fierce his longing for you is, the next part of this command becomes life-giving, not burdensome. There's something about being loved by God and really letting that sink into your heart that can free you. And it's in this freedom then we learn to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and all of our strength. But until we've accepted that first piece, O Israel, O faithless Israel, God's still your God, regardless of your faithfulness to him. Until we understand that peace, the second part of this commandment becomes overwhelming and burdensome. I think we'll be crushed under that weight, and as we try to teach it to our children, they'll be crushed under that weight. Jesus never asks anything of us that he doesn't think is actually possible that would be quite cruel. But I think for us to really understand how to follow this command... We have to really understand the first part. Hero Israel, there's one God and one Lord. He's never stopped being faithful to you. He's never stopped loving you. He's never stopped pursuing you. When that begins to sink in, the second command becomes more um, understandable. Because I think um, there's, there's a flip side to this, right? So we often talk about how much God loves us. Um, but there's also another part of us in our hearts that are wired to love God. And I would argue that most of our broken behavior, our hurtful behavior, our self-destructive behavior, our, our addictions, or like, um, even, even like the spaces in our lives where we, we look to like someone else, like a spouse or a partner, to like fulfill this deep longing we have inside to love. I think oftentimes this longing we have to love God gets warped and twisted And so we pursue this longing we have to love God, and it kind of comes out in different ways. And what we're reminded here by the words of Jesus is that you were meant to be loved by God first. Paul says this over and over again in Romans. and First Peter, Peter says this, we can love God because he first loved us. When this falls into place, all of our anxiety about living a life that impresses God, that is faithful to God, all the burdens that we might feel over like measuring up for God um, begin to be 
relieved. They begin to be healed. They begin to be, um, they create in us a wholeness where we can freely love. Even our closest, most personal, intimate relationships, marriage or close friendships, we're used to it being reciprocated. I love you, you love me in return. The love of God is actually entirely different. This is a New Testament point over and over and over again. This is why Mark uses these language of God's love invading into our hearts. We have to actually come to a space where we realize that there is no part of God's love for us through Jesus that is influenced by us. This is really hard to accept because every relationship in our life is wired differently. And that doesn't make those relationships unhealthy. It makes them human. But truly being able to understand and accept the unconditional love of God makes the second part of this commandment freeing. Not obligatory and not burdensome. So then the teacher of the religious law says, Well, said teacher, you have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. I know that it is important to love him with all of my heart and with all of my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is really more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Okay, so I'm going to stop us right here. So when he says required in the law, we, I want to change this to the word scripture because culturally in our modern context, I think that's an appropriate thing to do. He says, I get it. Okay, uh, so there are lots of parts of scripture um, where he's talking about where Jesus, or where in Scripture, there's all of these commandments about how to make sacrifices, sacrificing animals, goats, sheep, doves, and things like that as sin offerings. Then all of a sudden, you get to the prophets, and the prophets start saying, actually, it was never about the sacrifices. The sacrifices don't matter. What God desires is your love and your mercy. And all of a sudden, you see two competing ideas in Scripture starting to show up. It, like there's an actual debate here going on, and I, I want to highlight this, and this is where we're going to find some tension, is well, this is why this person, Jesus says, is so close to the kingdom of God. You figured out how to read scripture. When there's something that feels contrary to mercy, when there's something that feels contrary to love, when there's something that feels like it's, like it's in tension with how love is or what love is, you side on the side of love. Because he's literally just said, there's all this scripture about sacrifices, but also that doesn't matter as much as mercy does. This is challenging for some of us who grew up in cultures where we were taught to take um, the entire Bible uh, as authoritative. Right now, and hold on, let me, let me rephrase that. We were, we were thought, taught to take the Bible as equally, all parts of the Bible as equally authoritative. And this is why I think a lot of us actually get frustrated with our devotions and our Bible studies sometimes because we get stuck in some of these, in some of the weeds and we're like, I don't know what's happening here. I'm in First Kings and I have no idea who any of these names are. What, what's, what, like, what's going on? I have no idea how to approach Scripture here. And the reason I want to push this this morning, just pastorally, is because I think this leaves a lot of you, a lot of us, feeling like second-class Christian citizens in, in the kingdom of God. Right? Because I don't, I don't have as much command over Scripture as the other person in my Bible study. I don't have as much command over Scripture as, as the pastor does. And this is, I'm coming from someone who spends enormous amounts of my time every week studying. I love Scripture. Don't hear me say what I'm not saying. 
But what the debate is happening, like what's happening here is Jesus is trying to walk them through, hey, when you find ambiguities or you find seemingly contradictions in the text, when you are looking for like how do I faithfully follow God through Scripture, here it is. So all these other aspects of Scripture fall in line under this. Because remember, these, these commandments to give these sacrifices, there's at no point where God was like, actually, I didn't mean that. All of a sudden, we get to the prophets a little bit later, uh, and all of a sudden, the prophets are saying, those don't matter as much as your love and your mercy does. Then you get to Micah, the last prophet before the time of Jesus, and he, and he says, Here's, there's really three things that God wants from you. Walk humbly, love mercy, uh, right? And, like, there, and, so, uh, and have, um, walk humbly with your God, do justice, and love mercy. Like Micah reduces it to three. By the time we get to Jesus, Jesus reduces it to two. Two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. So the way that I, I want to like challenge us to approach scriptures is, is like think of this as sort of like a mountaintop. And at the very top here is this command. Everything else that you see in scripture fits under this command. If it seems to fit outside of this command, then we're reading it wrong. If we can't fit it under the lens of love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, if we can't fit it under that, if we're reading it somewhere else, like we're reading it wrong, and we've got to wrestle with the text, which we should do, ought to do, it's good to do, but we have to wrestle with it until we can see that it's consistent with these commandments. Because Jesus has just said there is something that's most important, and this is why, and I choose my words carefully here, um, there is something that is most important in Scripture. There is something that is most important in the law. Because remember, in in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, you have 617 laws that were given. By the time we get to Micah, it's reduced to three. By the time we get to Jesus, it's reduced to two. So all these other aspects of Scripture are important. They're only important in so much as that we've learned to bring it under this umbrella of these two important commandments. And the reason I'm spending a little bit of time on this this morning um, is because one of the things that I do feel unrested by as a pastor is how many people feel like second-class Christians because we've been taught this, this tradition of like we've got to know Scripture from front to back. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. We spend a bunch of time like understanding Scripture. We do it in our small groups. Like there's, there's real value in it. I'm not saying that. Please don't hear me say something I'm not saying this morning. But what happens is oftentimes we feel like we can't really understand the heart of what's happening because we don't understand all the culture. We don't understand the Greek. We don't understand the Hebrew. We don't understand this law. We don't understand this book. And really, the lens that which Jesus has given us to read all of Scripture is incredibly simplistic. Love God and love people. And as we do that, as we work our way through Scripture that way, the parts that we find confusing or unclear or even contradictory in nature, what we can always do is side with love. This is why Jesus tells them, you're not far from the kingdom. You're not a second-class citizen. You get it. This person, this man starts to see it. And everybody else is using aspects of the law to try and trip Jesus up, to try and find some kind of way to not follow him. Jesus says, there's a part of this that you get. 
is you found the things that are most important. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're actually going to spend a bunch of time in this, this commandment. Because um, I, I know, like, I've just, I've unloaded a lot for us this morning. And so um, if there's things that you find confusing or like, hey, what did you mean by that? Like, come talk to me happily. Like, um, fill out a connect card in the back. Leave your name and your number. would happily meet with you uh, and kind of walk you through some of what I mean. But we're, we're going to, over the next couple of weeks, spend some time in this commandment um, because of how important it is. As Jesus said, it is the most important one. And so there's going to be all these aspects to it that I want us to explore more. But this morning, what I'm trying to do is help us help give us sort of an exegetical framework, if you will, this lens at which we can look at all of Scripture and really begin to, my hope kind of through this process, is feel empowered. To say, I can, I can get this, I understand this now. Like, or if I'm finding it confusing, at least I know kind of which direction to go. I don't have to wait for a seminary professor to explain it to me. Like I can use these two that Jesus says is most important and start to kind of shift the way that I read, shift the way that I think about myself, and shift the way that I think about others so that like, as long as I kind of see it under this, uh, I, I make, it can make some sense out of it. Maybe not total sense, but I can start to at least like, move myself in the right direction. Uh, and that's my hope. Uh, for us as we explore this commandment together. Um, Let me pray for us as we take communion uh, and close this morning. Well, Father, um, as we explore um, the greatest commandment, to love you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, as we learn to love our neighbor as ourself, would you help us? Would you empower us? Like, like genuinely, would you empower us as a church, as people, um, to understand the greatest commandment, to understand your heart for us, your heart for one another? Father, this commandment is life. There's freedom in this. There's real joy in this. But I think most of us approach this and feel like I can never do that. I think it's because we haven't figured out how to center ourselves in your love to realize that you are our one God, you are always our God, regardless of our faithfulness or faithlessness to you. So would you help us to trust that? Would you help us to trust you? We'll find ourselves resistant to this in all kinds of ways that we may not even be aware of. Would you help us break down our resistance? Would you break down our shame and our isolation? We need you, Father. I love you. Just show us how to love you more. We pray these things in your name.